So let's step back a little bit and kind of formally introduce yourself, uh, obviously your name, um, <laughs> what brings you to human services, like what, not necessarily, or you don't have to give like a job title, I'm not looking for that, but your role in human services, and then, um, yeah, just a little bit about yourself. You can share, as, you know, like mm -hmm. I've said before, as much as you want, as little as you want, the floor is yours. My name is Lonnie Duncan. Um, I was born to a military family. Uh, my dad was in the Navy, he was EOD, and I was born in Puerto Rico. Um, and then we moved to Hawaii, Rhode Island, um, Virginia, North Carolina, Florida. Uh, I ended up moving 16 times by the time I was 18. Um, not, not because of my father. I think it was because of just the, uh, inconsistency in my mother's life. Um, my dad left when I was three. Um, my, she married my stepdad by the time I was five, five or six. Um, he was abusive, alcoholic, um, physically, verbally, emotionally. Um, and I struggled. I, I was a, I had one older brother by my real father and then two younger brothers and a younger sister by my stepdad. Um, so it was, you know, growing up, if you wanted to have attention, you had to be loud and you had to, um, either do extremely, extremely well or cause problems or, and, um, you know, in order to get your attention or to get, you know, any type of focus on you. And so I, I went the other way. I was the class clown. Um, I had a lot of behavioral issues. I moved in with my grandparents, um, age 13, ended up getting bullied and chased home. And my grandfather told me, if somebody's threatening the house or threatening you, this is where our protection is. And at 13, I thought I was doing the right thing. Um, two kids followed me home and were bullying me and were jumping on my bike in the backyard. And so I went and got the shotgun and warned them. So I opened the door, I presented the shotgun. They took off running and I immediately put it away. And I was like, okay, am I gonna get in trouble? Am I not gonna get in trouble? Uh, my grandfather came home, um, I hid and they were looking for me. Uh, right when he pulled up, I saw Joe run across the road and talk to him and tell him what happened. And so I was hiding and then the cops came and they were all looking for me and I was hidden under a bush, like watching them. <laughs> and my uncle Randy actually saw me and ended up chasing me down and tackled me. And I ended up going to Cedar Springs, um, which was a mental hospital. And through that experience, it was, it was a nightmare. I mean, we were totally drugged up. Everybody there was just a zombie we would be handed, you know, a small paper cup of like six to eight pills every morning, every night. It didn't matter if you asked what they were, they weren't going to tell you. And if you cheeked them or tried to, you know, um, act like you took them, then first you would you lose your privileges and see, I was trying to figure out how to get out of there. Um, and then you, you wouldn't be able to go to the game room. You wouldn't be able to go to the classes. And so I got caught cheeking my meds. 
and they ended up taking me in the back, strapping me down to like a wooden box spring, like literally like like one arm on each corner and one leg on each corner, um, and left me in there for several hours. And that's where I learned disassociation, which I'm sure I was I had already done it a lot when I was a child, but literally that's the only way I survived being strapped down like that. The disassociation part, that's kind of, uh, kind of like a self projection experience, right? Where you out kind of outside of the body in a moment right. of, of stress. Yeah. And you kind of watch yourself, watch the situation. Mm -hmm. My therapist, cause I think everybody should have therapy, um, mm -hmm. refers to it as like a soup, my superpower, but also my kryptonite, which, you know, disassociating, I, I became a professional at it. And sometimes it would happen unconsciously. And so it's very negative on relationships. And when people are close to you, when you're triggered, a lot of times I'd find myself disassociating and like looking past the person and I'm just like out there, not paying attention, not soaking up, not being present. They ended up uh, letting me out of there and I played the game and went to the groups and tried to say everything that was supposed to be said. Um, and according to them, I was the kid that tried to shoot somebody. I definitely didn't try to shoot somebody. And so I felt like I was like, you know, I'm, I'm lost. I'm done. I, you know, this is supposed to be a place to help me and supposed to be a place to teach me new coping skills. And, and it wasn't, it was literally just like a, a dope farm. You know, it almost felt experimental. I had a roommate that moved in or roommate or fellow client. I don't know how you would term that. Um, Mate, I guess. Yeah. And he was 17 and this was his third time at Cedar Springs. And he had or second time. And the first time he had ran and took off out the front doors. And he told me, he was like, you know, you're in here for trying to shoot somebody. You're probably going to be here till you're 18, then get transferred to um, a detention center until you're 21, then you may or may not be released. And I was 13. And so I was like flipping out and I was like, okay, well, I mean, what are you suggesting? He was like, you have to hurt yourself. And so I was like, what do you mean? He was like, you have to hurt yourself bad enough to go to the hospital to convince your mother or your father to take you out of here. And this was in like an evening when we were laying on the, our backs, just discussing things at night. And I was like, okay, fine, I'm ready. And I was pumped and he was like, what now? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and his idea is back up and kick one of the bolted down bedposts to the floor as hard as I could. And so I was like, okay, here we go. And so he leaned up in bed and I took like three steps and just kicked it as hard as I could. And it like my pinky toe bone was jammed all the way back into my foot. Um, I started screaming, orderlies came, ended up going to the hospital and it actually panned out exactly how he said it was going to. And my mom was with me for like two nights and then the third day and they did the EGs and I was thrown up and I had a concussion and back then they didn't really take it very seriously. Um, and so I got out, uh, she took me out, um, continued to have behavioral problems because it didn't address anything. You know, the, like the place, the, the groups and stuff, they were just trying to modify my behavior and try to tell me 
you know, don't do this. And this is why you shouldn't do this, you know, because mm -hmm. pretty much because society doesn't do that. And that doesn't, that's zero explanation and zero coping skills. And, you know, it, it was, it was kind of asinine. I got out, still had behavioral problems, got sent to Marcoma Bible Academy, um, which I got, my mom how was How old were you when you got out? Um, I was still, I was still 13. So my mom and my stepdad, they actually got in a fight, separated. We moved down to Florida. Um, this was eighth grade. I skipped the whole year of Florida. Finally, my mom worked two jobs. Um, and finally, when uh, when they did get a letter to my mom, because I would just circle around the block and get the mail and stuff, and then go fishing um, all day because we lived at the beach. And so um, it the, the whole reason why I was skipping school was because of the bullying thing, because there were the surfers and, and everybody around there. And I was always the new kid that came in. So I ended up skipping school. And then she ended up taking me into the school at the end of the year. And the teacher didn't even know me. So, and they, they agreed. They were like, well, if he goes to a different school, then we'll pass him, which I don't even know how that was legal, but ended up um, moving back to North Carolina. My mom and my stepdad got back together. I started ninth grade somewhere new and there were a lot of gangs around the area. And, yeah. and so um, I carried a knife on me and um, somebody said that I had a knife on me at school. They suspended me for 10 days. The day I came back, I had another knife. They expelled me. I was like, okay, fine. And they said, well, as long as he goes to a different school, we'll pass him. Okay. <laughs> this is the second time, right? Yeah. My goodness. And, and so my mom was like, you're getting shipped off somewhere. And she tried to present it like it was an amazing opportunity, which I guess it could have been. And so I got sent to Marcoma Bible Academy at 15. And it was, it was very structured. And I did well until some guy started dating my girlfriend at the time. And, and he, he, he started conflict with me and, and I was really upset. And, and so, and I'm not a fighter, I'm a lover. And so I, I didn't, I was like, blah, blah, blah. we were yelling. And I was like, you know, I'm so angry, blah, blah, blah. And I hit the ground <laughs> and broke my finger. My knuckle went back into my hand. And so then they took me to the hospital and I was like, it's fine. I let it, it'll be fine. And then um, one of the one of the teachers found like a a, a naked drawing I'd, I'd made the summer before, and so this was like eight months because we had to, we started a journal and I totally forgot it was in the back. Turned it in, they found it. They're like called me in the office. This is your last straw. I mean, this was you know your last strike. We're kicking you out. We already have you a plane ticket. We're flying you home because the. Uh, the school was in Oklahoma. Okay, so I was like, okay, fine. Flew back, got back involved with some of the same people because it was the same house in Concord, um, and then started selling weed. I ended up getting caught with four ounces of weed. Um, they charged me with intent to sell and deliver at 15, and I turned 16 before the court date. And so they tried me as an adult. I was looking at 15 years in prison and my mom worked with the DA and got me in a program. And it was a teen challenge 
in Virginia, ended up finishing 10th, 11th, and 12th grade in one year. Um, stayed focused, learned how, I did learn a lot. It was a positive peer culture program. It was focused on your strengths and we went through um, different character qualities like you had to go through. And so just learning about how to develop and implement and show your character qualities without, I guess, fear of repercussion was important for me. And being able to feel the freedom of expressing yourself like in a group because the, the positive peer culture, the model they had, like any of the, which is, is it was super productive. It could have been, sometimes it was used like students would, would call they're called informals, which is like, you call an informal, you know, the person has the opportunity to be like, yeah, I'm really upset, I'm angry, you know, and then it, it circles back around. Well, anger's a surface issue. Let's talk about what caused or brought up that feeling of anger um, and caused you to lash out. And so it was amazing watching the process and being a part of the process because like you would see when people were in the program, me included, I had, I had dyed silver hair when I first went on the program and dreadlocks through the process of the program and through me developing. And I was like, okay, well, there's, there's a different way of life. There's people, you know, that are successful. I don't have to find, you know, I'm not born and raised and condemned to the wrong side of the tracks. You know, I don't have to accept that livelihood, so to speak. Not that it's horrible and terrible, but for me, it, was just like a nightmare because I didn't fit in anywhere. And so it was like, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know my identity and I was just constantly searching. And through all the traumas of childhood, through that searching, it was like, okay, well, drugs and alcohol are my go-to for my coping skills when I get, you know, overwhelmed or when I'm triggered. Okay. So I graduated the program and then Emery DeBusk, who was the executive director of the program, you know, he, he saw potential in me and wanted me to help develop a, like a junior staff program where like a follow-up where you could graduate the program and then you could help implement informals and, and strategy, um, for like, you know, cases and for individuals like, and so I, I, got hired on staff there and moved upstairs. And it was, that was probably the, the spark that, that started like my desire, my drive for human services and for helping others is because I saw, like I'm still Facebook friends with a few of the guys I saw graduate. And um, I was Mr. Duncan, which is hilarious at like 19. And, um, <laughs> and it, and it's still, it was, you know, to see these guys end up graduating and have families and have kids and, you know, have a productive life because they found, you know, another path, well, like was impacting. Lonnie impacts the rest of his story in part two of this episode, premiering February 7th. <laughs>